You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Hey, this is Ariel Hawani, host of the MMA Hour on the Vox Media Podcast Network. Each week, we interview the biggest names in the world of mixed martial arts and beyond. So tune in live every Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern over at MMAfighting.com or download the show afterwards on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and wherever you get your podcast. We'll see you then. All right, welcome back to the Limited Upside Podcast. I'm Ben Epstein, joined as always by Mike Prada. And today on the line, we have Ricky O'Donnell because we are talking about draft prospects that are now NBA players, some of them stars, some of them looking for their uh, to get their feet wet properly in this league right now. Some of them shooting with the wrong hand. Some of them shooting at practice with the wrong hand. <laughs> Lots of stuff going on. Ricky, how's it going, bud? I'm good, guys. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. We have a lot of questions, so we're glad that we were finally able to, to get you on here. I know we've been, been kicking this around for a few weeks now. Um, an incredibly intriguing and interesting draft class this year and last year, and it's kind of mixing now into this this like youth movement of the league where you're seeing guys who, I don't know, weren't even projected maybe preseason to be starters like a Jason Tatum or a Jalen Brown if you're talking about the Celtics, and now they are you know main cogs in a very well functioning wheel, uh, which is what you're, the Celtics you're so are. So mad. Um, no, I'm, I'm so okay mad. with it. I, they're changing my opinion because they're they're fun to watch. But we'll get into that um, and and all this draft stuff because before we do that, we should talk about the trade that happened uh, this morning. Oh yeah. Um, and I want to get Prada's opinion on this yes, first because my Mike, is, Bucks. <laughs> Mike is going to fall into the background when we get too deep into the college stuff right now. That's not true. Okay. Hey, I watch rookies. I was trying to give you a runway there. That's yeah. okay. 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 So okay. sorry, I, I I must have fallen flat on the <laughs> on the takeoff. Kind of like. Uh, by the way, real quick aside, did you see the Celtics tweet last night about uh, around the world for mm-hmm. that sequence where they threw the ball around uh, like a great uh, ball movement, <sighs> nope. and they had an around the globe emoji. Ricky, did you see that? Uh, no, I didn't. Oh, it's great. Good. Whoever is uh, runs the Celtics social media account uh, deserves a raise for that one. <laughs> Definitely right, well, didn't fall flat. All right, well, good, good. Now that we've gotten the okay, let's talk about standard the Kyrie puns out of the way. Let's talk about the Bucks <laughs> and Suns trade. Um, Bledsoe effectively got himself traded. Uh, yes, pretty, pretty quickly and to not effectively. Com- he did. No, I mean, like, yeah, he he was very effective oh, yeah. at getting himself traded. Yes. But yeah, 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 he he did uh, literally get himself traded. Um, he is now on the Bucks, uh, coming back to the Suns. I believe is a lottery protected first rounder, a second rounder, and Greg Monroe's contract. Mm-hmm. I love it. I love it. I love it for the Bucks. I like Eric Bledsoe quite a lot, and I think he has been mistreated by the Phoenix Suns. They pulled him out when he was healthy and having a career year last year. That would piss anyone off. Uh, and given the Suns' history of not exactly treating their players all that well, I'm inclined to give Eric the benefit of the doubt on how he's been acting this year. Uh, it certainly has worked out for some of the other players that the Suns have traded. The Bucks really need to do something to upgrade their team. They don't have all day with Giannis Antetokounmpo. You have someone who's that incredible and on that short a contract. I mean, it's not short. It's four years. but it's in, you don't yeah, have, it's right. it's in the process of yeah, waning. You don't have time to wait around. And I like Malcolm Brogdon a decent amount. I know your feelings on Malcolm Brogdon. He's fine. Ben. He's fine. But Bledsoe is, a, I think, a significant upgrade. They needed another player who could take the ball handling off Giannis. I mean, one of the things that's like a, the blessing and curse of Giannis is that 
when you have a guy that can do anything, you often ask him to do everything, yeah, but now yeah. he doesn't quite have to do as much. You can now toggle him where he can be the ball handler and the role man a lot easier. It upgrades their rotation. They didn't give up anything. Monroe was great last year, has not been nearly as good this year. And currently injured as well. Just something to yeah. remember. The first-round pick, I mean, it sounds like there's wacky protections on it, which, as an aside, I'm tired of this bullshit protection stuff. I mean, This one is, like, I think, protected 11. It only conveys this year if it's between 11 and 16. But with, with lottery reform, there's <laughs> going to be more of that. Because you're going to be protecting larger swaths of picks. I hate it. All right. it's, it's just so dumb, like, to have the balls to make a trade. Ricky, you got any takes on this trade? I guess initially I was sort of worried that, like, anything that takes the ball out of Giannis's hands – might be a detriment to the Bucks long term, but at the same time, they badly needed someone else who would create something off the dribble. I mean, for as good as Bragdon is, he's mostly a catch-and-shoot guy, uh, sort of the same for Middleton, too. So I guess just adding another dynamic you know, ball handler and playmaker who can break down the defense and create something off the dribble has got to be a net benefit for the Bucks. I do think it's a, it's a bit of a risk, I guess, in a sense, just because you know they are committed – a, deep, a pretty good amount of money to blood so what for the next few years right so yeah they're, they're definitely a luxury tax problems now they're gonna they're gonna need to dump quite a bit more salary they've added long-term salary they also have two less draft picks to do it so it's definitely a financial risk but i mean i don't know i respect teams that go for it but that is absolutely true that's not really eric blitz's fault as much as it is john henson do, and yeah. del vadova and toledovich and these other guys that make too much money like do you think that the landscape of the eastern conference being what it is forced this trade a little bit more too for milwaukee no because i think it's the same calculus from milwaukee all okay. the way through it they cannot waste the this is milwaukee okay they don't get stars much less a unicorn like Giannis. I mean, mm-hmm. this guy is every single team in the league would want to trade for him, and he's in Milwaukee, a market that you know has never gotten this sort of thing. So, no matter what position you're in in the conference, whether you can compete with Cleveland struggling, whether mm-hmm. you can't, you have to take advantage of that opportunity. And if you, at the end of the day, after his contract expires, if you can tell yourself that you did everything you could to upgrade the team around him, I think you feel a lot better than if you are saying to yourself, you know. We could have made this trade, but we kind of chickened out a little yeah, bit. Yeah. And I again, time will tell if it's like a good trade, but I think they had no choice, no matter where they were in the standings, to make an upgrade like this. The yeah. sort of sin of the 2016 summer has already passed them. They don't have time to wait. This guy is amazing right now. Yeah. You know, I, I just think you can't wait around uh, when you get a chance. And it's just such good value for them. I mean, yeah. when you take away the money issue, is that, I don't know, this dude averaged. What did he average last year before uh, he was shut down? You know, he was outstanding. And he has a history of, A, being able to play off the ball when needed. He hasn't done it recently, but he has done it in the past. He's got a history of being a really good defender, both at the one and the two. He's got an ability to push the ball. I mean, to me, yeah, he averaged 21 a game last year uh, while shooting – pretty decent efficiency for a bad team and he's coming into the age where I you know my theory on point guards they yeah. kind of they're coming into of age a little later like I think it's a no-brainer to get him at this price yeah. at this point yeah I mean I'm glad that even throughout the you know five minutes of talking about this no one brought up you know Bledsoe's injury past or anything like that it seems like that speculation yeah. at least well it's always a concern it's tabled always a concern but um look feels like a no-brainer for the Bucks they they just upgraded in a conference that doesn't have a clearly defined hierarchy, 
Um, and uh, they got they got a guard who's going to be able to guard up and down across the Eastern Conference, which is dominated by the best players are guards. Um, you know, there are a few bigs in the East, aside from Giannis, who is in his own right, oh, a big and small. But yeah, I mean, Porzingis and Embiid, Turner and Horford. I mean, there's a few bigs, but look, it's John Wall. Uh, it's still Lowry. Um, it's Kyrie. It's Kyrie. It's it's the, it's point guards right now. So, Ricky, um, are you? Uh impressed that Bledsoe was able to sneak his way out the way he did. I guess sneak is the wrong word. He sort of... There was nothing sneaky about that. <laughs> yeah. I kind of love that about this, that he just sort of orchestrated his own trade. And he, I mean, I can understand if a superstar did it, but he's Eric Bledsoe, and he still did it. Yeah, I think and it's awesome, too, that I think that he's going to the East. That's what all these disgruntled stars in the West should want to do, is just get East and see what can happen. And Agreed. I, I mean, Bledsoe was putting up, like, what, 25-5 and five last year? Like, he was having an absolutely ridiculous season. So in the Eastern Conference, paired next to someone else like Giannis, who's going to obviously suck in so much attention from the defense, I mean, if Bledsoe can regain his form, he's going to be potentially really dangerous in that situation. Yeah. My big question remains, Jason Kidd, uh, still really shaky on him stylistically and what they do. What would, I think, suck, but I think is going to happen to some degree is they're just going to shoehorn Bledsoe into the way they play already on both ends, which I have questions about. And the other thing is I, I don't know if the lineup now we really want to see that we could see, which is going to be really exciting if they actually go to it. I don't know if they will. Bledsoe, Brogdon, Middleton, Giannis, and uh, Tony Snell or Jabari Parker. Giannis at the five. That'd be pretty dope. Once Jabari comes back, he would fit in really nicely there as the power, quote-unquote, forward. Right. um, Or center, whatever you'd want to call him in that lineup. But, yeah, I think it's it's interesting that you bring up Jabari because this should make him more valuable. They they didn't, you know, they don't have to make— as much of a decision on him now because they can they have Bledsoe. Uh, it's still a big decision to be made on Jabari's future, but well, more valuable in what sense? It, it, I think I think it makes gives you another pathway. Perhaps. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. It, it takes so away the emphasis. Valuable. Yeah, I guess what I was trying to get at is it takes away the emphasis on that decision, which is probably a good thing for the organization. It gives them another pathway that they could go down that doesn't necessarily have to be the pairing of Jabari and Giannis long term. Um, and look, like getting rid of Monroe is a completely whatever thing to me. They have enough bigs, and Giannis's skill set and the amount of minutes he's going to play masks having to use those minutes on Monroe anyhow. Um, yeah, I don't know. I thought it was interesting, but let's get to the 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 crux of the conversation. The reason why. We have Ricky on here always is because he knows more about college hoops and those prospects that are now making their way into the league than, than Mike and I do, um, specifically Mike, but also myself. And <clears throat> Mike shaking his head you. in approval. Thank you. Um, and so, Ricky, I had mentioned this to you a few weeks ago. We needed to give it a, f- a few more games. I guess we're like 10 to 11 games into the season now, depending on how many your respective teams have played. Um, I want to start off by trying to take this down the path of a combined redraft between the 2016 and 2017 draft classes because there's a lot of age overlap and positional overlap and and just like thematic ways that this this season has come together with like you know Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum playing together uh, the idea that Ben Simmons and Fultz are on the same team so there's a lot of ways that we can kind of work the narrative here but I would love to get your take here on redrafting those classes together. Who goes one, two, three, and then we'll go from there. Yeah, sure. I think Simmons has to go number one at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's just been phenomenal. I feel like you know the way that the Sixers have been flexible and sort of uh, altering what they do to put the ball in his hands and to really just let him bring up the ball and play point guard. Uh, you know, from the jump has been 
just a revelation in terms of how his skill set fits the NBA. And, you know, you look at someone like that, and I, I, I do think of this about college players sometimes, those big athletic wing types uh, like Simmons, they're just more effective in the NBA, bigger court, better spacing, more competent teammates. Simmons didn't have any of that at LSU. And then what happens? There's questions about how badly he wants to win. There's questions about, you know, just like his general mindset. Already, like less than 10 games into his NBA career, all of those sort of seem foolish, right? Yeah. Because he's already been so awesome uh, for the Sixers. So, I mean, he looks like someone who could be an all-star and rookie of the year. I can't remember. The, I mean, LeBron didn't even wasn't even an all-star as a rookie. <laughs> uh, I can't remember the last guy off the top of my head. Maybe Grant Hill who did that. So has anything surprised you about uh, what you've seen from him in the first few games, knowing what you know about him from his youth career in college? I think we it's all clear now that, like you said, the, the college game was just not a fit for him. But is there anything that surprised you with how he's played? It's not really how he's played. I guess the one thing I would say is that like his passing got so much attention at the youth stage the people forgot that he's also 610 240 and just an elite athlete i would say like maybe his just general speed and athleticism is the thing that really jumps out to me he looks like one of the biggest and fastest players in the league and when he was coming into the league i think you know the most of the attention was focused on his passing ability i agree i i would have simmons number one in my redraft as well um i, I think one of the other parts about him that i guess the armchair psychology got a little bit too deep when you start to analyze like the composition of a college team and how well he played with whatever college coach who was fired from LSU, what was the guy's name? Um, uh, Johnny Jones. Jones, Jones. yes, yes. Um, you know, like with the idea that it was one and done, and and you start to take away all the success he had at a high school level and AAU level because of that one year of college. Like, there's a lot of conflicting things. The moment he walked on the court, though, he, you know, obviously with the redshirt season for his injury, he carried himself like, and this is you know not hyperbolic, but like a veteran, like he. He even the way that he interacts with his teammates on the court, he's okay with putting his arm around somebody. Uh, he's okay with pointing something out at the free throw line. Like he assumed proper responsibility for the weight of playing the point guard position, and did that pretty seamlessly. Now it helps when you can lead by example and you know crash the boards the way he does. And and he is hyper aggressive at getting the rebound because it's very similar to like a Westbrook. He wants to be pushing it immediately. Um, I don't know. The thing that's jumped out to me and it's is that we had a lot of questions about his right hand, left hand usage and what hand was better, et cetera, as if that was going to be like a negative, that that was going to somehow take away from this guy. And I think thus far what surprised me the most, Ricky, you tell me, is that he's using his left hand in drives more than he was last year, but his right hand touch is like really nice and soft. And so this idea that he's kind of ambidextrous, which was like make up your mind, that's a bad thing, is actually a positive like most ambidextrous guys around the basket. I mean, obviously, you need to use both hands yeah. to play basketball. Anyone who's played basketball, even at the pickup level, sure. you can't use both hands. They're just so much easier to defend. I do think Prade has made a couple of good points on Twitter early in this season about his finishing being the big thing uh, that he's going to have to work on because, mm -hmm. uh, I mean, he does look awkward a lot of times, I think, on those finishes, whether he's undecided of what hand he's going to go with or which hand feels more natural for him. It's still something he's working through. But sure. at the same time, what is he, 21 years old? And, yeah. Uh, I mean, you just look at how effective he is already and how – I mean, I think you got to credit Brett Brown a lot for putting him in a position to succeed because they've really – they were given a unique player, and a lot of teams I feel like wouldn't be able to maximize him so quickly. Granted, yep. they did have redshirt year with his injury last year, but, uh, I mean, he already looks like you know a potential all-star in the East, I think. Yeah, and it's it's interesting you bring that up, like the, the handed uh, 
awkwardness is because, and you'll you probably notice the same thing I do, but a lot of times he'll go off of one leg and then decide to go to use the, you know, the wrong hand, like go off his right leg and then decide to use his right hand. He had that awesome dunk uh, in the game a couple weeks or a week ago. Um, trying to think who that was against. Uh, Pacers? Houston? Houston? Houston. I don't know who it was. Well, whatever. I don't he, know which dunk are we talking about. I mean, he started the top, uh, top left of the three-point line and, and drove right jumped off his right leg and ended up dunking with his right hand. Um, so, you know, part of that awkwardness is because we're used to the seeing the fluidity of someone taking off with their left and using their right or vice versa. And Simmons literally is making this up in, in midair. Right. Um, it is worth noting, by the way, for all the concerns about his finishing, he is shooting over 63% inside of five feet, six, almost 66% in the restricted geez. area. So if you look at the numbers, it hasn't really affected him. I guess the question is, you know, are there certain opportunities that should be that that he's instead turning into floaters? Um, and the thing I've always said this: the thing that really impresses me about him is not anything he's doing offensively, but man, that defensive versatility is not something I saw in college. Yeah, and yep. he's really tough there. So Simmons would go number one. Uh, is yeah. it would like the next five players be from this year's class? Like, well, yeah, that's interesting. That's like, sort of who, the next question: like who who's who, number two? <laughs> but uh, the other question to think of is: yeah, how many 2017 players would go after Simmons? Yeah, I mean, the 2016 draft in general, if you're redrafting 2016, just that class alone, obviously it's still super early, but you're looking at DeJounte Murray, Karis LeVert, Jamal Murray. Well, uh, I, still like, I still like Ingram, even though I think that, you know, he, he really hasn't been as good as I thought he could have been uh, when he was coming out of college. But Ingram, too, he's like younger than like 14 or 15 yeah. of the first unders in this draft. He's like mm-hmm. still literally baby so because he was a reclassification going into college right i don't know if he was a lot of these guys were he might have just always been young for okay. his class he might have reclassified i don't remember he was a late rising prospect got it so if he reclassify it wouldn't have been the type of thing that was like super newsworthy at the sure, time similar sure. to how uh, you know marvin bagley did this year and rj barrett did as well right but, well you also got you also have brown jalen brown you also have uh make Tom McCurr, who's not having yeah. a good year. And but Sabonis is a, is a fine player as well. Um, yeah, that's right. The the newly re- reinvigorated, unleashed Demonis Sabonis, <laughs> finally free from Russell Westbrook's towering shadow. Well, so let's st- sticking at least here for a little bit, I, I, Mike, and that's a great question here because I, as I look at this, um, you know, Jalen Brown sticks out, but obviously guys like Chris Dunn and Buddy Heald, uh, even to a lesser extent Marquise Chris and Bender, who've been you know, lackluster to say the least for Phoenix, although potentially coaching and situation is weighing them down. Um, who do you have going two and three uh, here, Ricky, in, uh, in this redraft? So this is really tough. I don't mean to be a Debbie Downer on this, but I feel like it's just <laughs> so early that I almost need to stick with what I thought pre-draft because it's only been 10 NBA games. I still think I would take Fultz number two. Yeah. Which m- might sound crazy, I guess, because he's been I mean, he looks like he's totally in his own head. He's obviously been injured, but can we talk real quick about like how hilarious that controversy was? It's the not other funny. Day? It's not funny. I found Mike. it really funny because, like, here's the thing, right? Players mess around after practice all the time, doing this sort of thing, uh, where they just shoot wacky shots. The media only gets to see a certain percent portion of practice. Mm-hmm. Now, these guys are smart that uh, reported on sort of his shooting, Kyle and Derek, who we know very well. And they would, as Kyle mentioned, he wouldn't have said anything unless he was always shooting lefty and it just didn't look right. Mm-hmm. And it later said that he is he's able to shoot righty layups but not righty jumpers. Yeah, that's right. But holy crap, the freak out. Like, guys, one, calm down. Two, it is so Sixers. They, they, the reason this is a thing 
is because the Sixers have handled this poorly. So I'm not saying the Sixers <laughs> are blameless here, but like, God, for about an hour and a half, like this was like a huge meltdown on social media. Yeah, I thought oh, this was it's our most hilarious. This was certainly the most unwarranted Sixers freakout. But you have to give. Oh, don't 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 no, pull no, that shit. You no. were freaking out right along I, I with was, all of them. First off, I wasn't freaking out. I was just like. I'm in this, the same state that I was in when he was playing in games. And, like, no, Ricky, no, please don't back let me, me up here. Don't let is, me produce the receipts of our conversation yesterday. Well, there's no way to to have a good read. And this is why I appreciate Ricky sticking with his guns from his scouting report preseason and, and, and pre-draft even in a lot of ways here is because there's no way to know what this guy can actually do because he wasn't even – I forget which – it may have been Bodender, one of the Sixers writers. Kyle. Uh, was it, one of them wrote this this term, reasonable facsimile that it's impossible to really judge Fultz because he wasn't even a reasonable facsimile to the player that they anticipated draft or getting right. on the I mean, team. If we're, look, if we're trying to get the right answer to these, these questions yeah. of a redraft, like the information you don't have is always underrated yes. versus, versus yes. the information yes. you do have, and we can only focus on what we see. I do think, though, given Fultz's current confidence problems, the fact that he was also a late bloomer mm-hmm. I think is sort of an interesting parallel here. And the Celtics' very strong trade to trade out of getting him and getting Tatum, and given the way Tatum has started, is it too early to at least move a little bit of your thought to the ledger that Danny Age might have been right about those two? I think absolutely. Uh, I mean, Tatum's look, Tatum's look great. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think that they probably just had more information on Tatum from the start. I always thought that from the time they made that Brooklyn trade, they were probably looking at this high school class, thinking of who they wanted, and Tatum was always a guy near the top of those rankings from the very start. Uh, and he's been just super good so far. I mean, yeah. I was someone who – he wasn't my favorite prospect in this draft. I would have taken Josh Jackson over him. So now, you know, you wonder, are you, you know, was that an incorrect opinion on my part? Or is it something where, like, if you put Josh Jackson on the Celtics, just the structure of that team, and, you, you know, you put Tatum on the Suns, who just have basically no structure, uh, you know, would those players look a lot differently? It's possible. But, I mean, Tatum, you see him last night just ripping three-pointers, which we weren't sure coming into the league if he was going to have that much range on his jump shot. He just looked really confident as a scorer and he absolutely does not look like a 19-year-old rookie out there whatsoever, which has been the most impressive thing for me through 10 games. 53% on threes for Tatum. That's going to come down, but still. The three that he hit in the fourth quarter last night were the same exact spot, corner three, and, and that seems to be with, you know, well within his range. But I'm, I'm almost more impressed with, again, like you mentioned, he's got a confidence level. Like, and, and Ricky, I, I think back to a couple years ago we had John here, and you had mentioned something like Tatum was the best player on Team USA at his 17s age group. Um, he was the guy leading the way. And there's something to like being that guy who's been the go-to scorer, like the alpha on your you know, USA-level teams, even on Duke last year. Um, you know, I don't know. Tatum ex- exudes confidence, and definitely a part of that is that if he's not having a good night, that's okay because he's got a foundation around him of, like, you know, Horford and, and Kyrie and a coach who's fully aware of how to transition a, a player from college to pro would appear because um, he's done a great job with Smart and Rozier and Jalen Brown. I mean, look, the player development that the, the Celtics have been unveiling over the last three years has been strong. Um, it, a lot of the knocks on Ainge had always been how he evaluated, you know, draft prospects. But it would appear that Tatum and I would have Tatum at number two. Um, in my redraft, and, and I put him there basically because I look at him and I'm thinking, shit, this guy's going to score over 20 in the NBA consistently in his career, <laughs> night in and night out. That's a really good player. And, you know, shit, 
it, it almost like pains me to, to say this, but he could have potentially been a better fit with Simmons, knowing that Simmons is equal is a more valuable player with the ball in his hands and distributing uh, than I think we even realized. And that's one of the Sixers issues I had was that even despite every all the overtures of he's going to be our point guard and saying out loud he's going to be our point guard, I'm not sure they were ever fully committed until the proof was in the pudding and he was playing. And that was one of the reasons that they picked Fultz and not staying right. at three. I and was going to say, if, if he's the point guard, why did you pick right. a legit point guard? Right. Now, with Tatum, uh, one of the things I've been surprised by just based off his college rep, uh, and I'm curious to hear Ricky speak to this, is I thought that the thing, the knock on him was that he was too much of a one-on-one player. He didn't take enough good shots. He wouldn't necessarily fit in as well to this ball movement, ball sort of swing-swing, like kind of spot-up uh, kind of role. And also he was a poor defender and a poor passer. And yet it feels like none of these things have <laughs> manifested themselves. Like he's actually a great a cog in a system. He's making spot-up shots. He's, he's playing good defense. He's playing good defense. Yeah. He's attacking closeouts. Like was this just like a problem with how Duke used him? Is this because he's with the Celtics and not, like Ben said, the Suns? Like what's yeah. why, how surprised are you that this is a, stylistically this is the player he looks like? You know, I think throughout his entire amateur career, he was always just someone who lived off tough shots because, first of all, he could get them whenever he wanted to. Uh, he was, you know, his mid-post game was the thing you always heard him most complimented on. And we saw that in Summer League, too. I wrote something on SB Nation during his Summer League that, like, this is sort of who Jason Tatum is. He was living off these ridiculously tough turnaround fadeaways, and he was making them at yeah. a, a sound high percentage, at least for a while at the start of Summer League. Uh, I'm giving the credit in that sense to Steven. I just feel like his system in general sort of dissuades people from taking those type of shots. He's made things easier on these young players like Brown and Tatum. And Brown's another guy. Like when Brown was entering the draft, he I believe he had the highest usage rate in the Pac-12 and the lowest true shooting percentage <laughs> of any player in the draft with Malachi Richardson. Those two guys were yeah. the two lowest true percentage guys entering the draft. And Brown really hasn't shown any of that in the NBA, and I think a lot of that is because he ended up in a great spot in Boston. Like, if you yeah. put those two guys on the Suns, are the Suns suddenly, you know, <laughs> transformed? Are they a really good team? I don't know. I just think that it speaks a lot to the structure and the composition of what the Celtics are trying to do. This is a question we got uh, from Drew Tang Forever, great Twitter name, which we're, and I think you guys are kind of answering it, so that's why I bring it up. This uh, Which rookie landed in the best position to succeed now? Which rookie is in the best position to maximize his potential? Is it Jason Tatum in both of your minds? I think so. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Uh, I think. I mean, how about Kuzma too? Kuzma and yeah. Lon just amazing together. Like if Kuzma goes to the, I don't know, to anyone else, I, I just wonder if he's he would be given this big of an opportunity. First of all, yeah. and secondly, sort of freedom to sort of maximize his talent. There's an analogy to be had here too, which is like. <laughs> Plenty of really good quarterbacks have been drafted by the wrong team and had horrible careers. Okay, um, what's football? Well, I know what's a quarterback. Is that like yeah. some sort of? Uh, it's uh, is this like a nickname for point guard. It's it's the high priced guy who you get to know what his face actually looks like on an NFL team. Yeah. Uh, anyhow, okay. So the anyhow, the, then, okay. the point the point here though is like if Deshaun Watson had gone to the Browns, there's a good chance. He, well, sadly he got hurt now, but we wouldn't have had this amazing rookie season that we got to see. Um, that he had to have for the Texans because there's more infrastructure. And I think you see a lot of that with like a DeJounte Murray. Guys who get picked later on in the draft, Bell uh, in the second round to to Golden State, um, or I guess the Bulls drafted him and gave him away to... Yeah, we're going to talk sorry, about that we'll at some because we have had some discussions. <laughs> I know Ricky's got maybe a thought or two on that. But <laughs> the, the idea, though, is like when you go to a team that can put you in the right situation right away, and like in Kuzma's case, the right situation was... 
sold out arenas for summer league basketball, which I know sounds stupid, but he got to build and show that this is the type of player I am while people were actually watching. I don't know, when man. the games I, didn't actually matter. I think he would be just fine anywhere. I think no, he's actually that, legit. That helped good. build his brand, man. That helped build, I think, his well, immediacy to get minutes in a really crowded front court. Well, I mean, anytime you go to the Lakers, you're gonna have a bigger brand, but I think sure. he'd be the same level of player. I don't know if he's the best example of I, this. I just think he took like he took some of the shine that Lonzo was getting for the organization, who's been an absolute disaster organization for the last Last six years, and ran with it, and he's you know the, the more valuable of the two at this moment. Let's talk about uh, real quick though. I'll say this: if the number three pick in our combining 2016 2017 drafts, I would probably have Jalen Brown as my number three. I was going to ask: uh, Do you think Tatum or Brown? I mean, Ricky, if you had to pick one for the next fifteen years, would you take Tatum or Brown? Man, great question. Uh, I do think Brown is more defensive upside, but I would probably take Tatum. I think I would take Tatum, too. Would you I, have t- uh, Brown going three? Well, we know. can talk about that. I mean, T- Brown's good, but th- there's other players I would take ahead of him for sure. Uh, no, you're not the biggest fan of his, and I'm a much bigger fan yeah, of me his. Me, too. I mean, I, I'll admit that you know I wasn't a huge fan of his because I thought he didn't have like a real good feel for the game. I thought he was sort of a head-down player who didn't see the floor when he was playing the whole time but i mean he's been awesome for the celtics so he's he's so physically mature too which is you know you can see tatum putting on muscle and a lot of these guys we're talking about i mean fuck lonzo ball does not have an nba body at this moment yeah jalen brown like you know shot clock winding down in the fourth quarter last night has the ball at the three-point line with four seconds left and just like i'm gonna get a layup here Mm. and does so by going really physically to the basket taking some contact from deadman and finishing over him all right let's talk about lonzo ball i have a couple stats i want to read out uh (laughs) these i found these on reddit so you know it's true Lonzo Ball is currently last in the league in field, among rotation players in field goal percentage, effective field goal percentage, and true shooting percentage. Also via Reddit, Lonzo is the first, uh, and I imagine they maybe got this from somewhere else. Uh, according to a basketball reference search, Lonzo Ball is the first rookie to shoot 100 shots in his first 10 games at a field goal percentage below 30. It's a little specific. <laughs> Ricky, should we be worried about this? Yeah, I was going to ask you guys how worried you are about Lonzo on a scale of 1 to 10. I would put myself at like a 2. I'm still not super worried about Lonzo, in large part because, I mean, he shouldn't even have started his sophomore year of college yet, right? Right. He's just so, so young, and we forget that about a lot of these guys. And like Ben pointed out, just physically, I mean, he just has like skinny legs, and he's just like not physically mature. He's three years younger than Kuzma, too. And, you know, the other thing about a lot of his success at UCLA, they had shooters everywhere. So in a mm-hmm. sense, that was like a perfect system for him. The Lakers just don't have all those shooters. I thought the Lonzo-D'Angelo Russell pairing would have been really good for the Lakers before <laughs> they made that trade. I mean, now you look what Russell's doing in Brooklyn. Granted, I think Russell's shooting below 30% from three. He's still averaging, like, whatever, 22 a game because he's such a— Russell's jacking <laughs> shots. Yeah, he's, yeah. He sure. is putting up numbers. Uh, I don't know if they're Nets effective also play, numbers, Nets play but he's e- putting up numbers. Aggressively fast basketball, too. Yes. I was going to point that out, yeah. yeah. like, But at the same time, I do think that that would have been helpful for Lonzo just to have another guy who would create his own shot and shoot and pass and— I think that would have been a good pairing. And, you know, you look at the Lakers now, and I just don't think that, you know, whatever – I mean, that team is just going to change so much over the next – I mean, maybe even next year, but the next three years, certainly. Yeah. Uh, and I think, you know, their their main 
uh, prerogative unless it's adding LeBron James. If LeBron wants Lonzo gone, I'm sure Lonzo is <laughs> gone. But uh, it's just get, getting more shooters and sort of trying to recreate what Lonzo had at UCLA in a sense with you know so many people who could space the floor and him just making all the quick decisions. He has been playing with some bricklayers, as you say. Yeah. Uh, and I'm looking up the exact number, so, but the starting lineup that he plays with does not have a lot of shooting. What were you going to say, Ben? Well, I was just going to say there's a combination of there's the shooters around, and then there's this idea that he's supposed to be one of the shooters. I mean, he, he, with range and 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 like the idea that he can be made to be one-dimensional in which direction he drives because you know if he's going right that there's not going to be a shot that comes at any part of that. It, it becomes an easy defensive adjustment that teams are making around him. I mean, all the Lakers' peripherals are better offensively and defensively when he's off the court. Um, now, it is worth noting. See, this is where I think this context is kind of interesting. So yeah. their starting lineup, which is Lonzo, Caldwell Pope, Ingram, Brooke Lopez, and Larry Nance, uh, played 100 minutes uh, they have an offensive rating under 99. So basically you're looking at kind of what you're talking about, the combination of his inability to shoot combined with other people. Mm-hmm. You sub out uh, Kuzma for Larry Nance, and that jumps all the way up to 106.8 in mm-hmm. 63 minutes. So mm-hmm. just getting another guy who can make shots on the floor makes a big difference for the entire team. Uh, and I'll have to check exactly what it is with uh, Kuzma individually. But I do think there is – like. He went from kind of, like you said, the best possible situation for his game to perhaps the worst yeah. in terms of lineup. And I, I don't know which one is necessarily more appropriate. The expectations were <laughs> unbelievably high. And because of the Summer League hype, which I'm still going to bring up because there was this idea that this guy is a Summer League MVP and it was going to immediately translate to like the actual NBA when you're not playing against a bunch of guys who are going to go play in Europe or in the D-League. Um I, I want to th- get your thoughts, Ricky, on what you feel. I know we talked about his like physical maturity in terms of the body build he has, skinny legs. You know, his shoulders are are um, obviously like not strong yet, but perhaps not great footwear. Yeah, footwear. <laughs> um, but c- comparing him to the other uh, guards that we're going to throw in this mix here of like Dennis Smith, uh, Frank Nilakina. Uh, Darren Fox and um, I mean Donovan I, Mitchell. I, I was gonna say and Donovan Mitchell. Now that Donovan Mitchell's <laughs> pretty good player, um, and then from last year's class, I mean you've watched a little of Chris Dunn, Buddy Heald, and Jamal Murray. Like, where do all these guys fit in with each other? And like, is there one of those guys that I just mentioned where you're like, no, that guy's gonna be the All Star perennially, or like, no, that guy's probably gonna have a short career where he's eventually on the bench as like a backup to backup point guard? I would still take Lonzo. Okay. Out of all those guys, uh, and I mean, there are so many rookie rookie guards in this class that are just so much more impressive physically than Lonzo. Like, as we mentioned, Darren Fox, Donovan Mitchell, and Dennis Smith. I mean, those are just three elite athletes. Yeah. So it is sort of tough to like look at Lonzo and think that I guess his mind is going to outweigh their clear edge and physicality of those three players, but. Uh, I mean, you try not to overreact too much to such a small sample size. You've already seen people being like, well, Jason Kidd didn't score 10 points in his first. <laughs> well, that's what that's what Tom was saying. He said if you compare Lonzo to like Kidd and Nash, it's not like his start is any more more terrible from the field than those guys. Oh, right. I get all my basketball information from Tom Ziller. I'm yeah. remembering this. Why isn't Michael – I mean, I know I've seen this meme just like you guys, but like, why isn't Michael Carter-Williams the much more apt comparison? I'm confused. Well, well My- for one, Michael Carr Williams is actually good when he first started. He was good. So he was rookie he, of the year. That's I mean, true. like, Lonzo Ball's not Benjamin Buttoning his <laughs> NBA career, so, like, Michael Carter Williams. The other reason is that, I mean, Lonzo Ball's passing is. The, the verb, Benjamin Buttoning? I think it's a verb. I like yeah, that. That's yeah. good. I mean, 
Lonzo Ball is still a great passer. It, it, they're just different players. It's like a totally different. Yeah, but thing. I, I'm I guess saying your like point, your NCW larger. You couldn't shoot well, and that doomed his career. He, well, Lonzo he shot well in college. Five. I think the it's it's still up in the air which sample is more yeah, situational. Yeah. I mean, it is worth. Sometimes the way you shoot in college is not a great gauge percentage-wise. I mean, this is one of those skills that you really don't know what is going to happen. Right, and right. Then you have to dig a little deeper into, you know, maybe that release is not that consistent. We've seen this with other shooters sure. as well, so I don't know. But, I mean, Michael Carl Williams never had a good shooting season. I guess your larger point is, like, why is every comparison yes, to, the best, players to ever. the best players Yeah, that's yeah, the I whole, mean, that's a that's, fair question. That's the point I'm trying to make here in terms of the expectations that are thrust upon this kid. Again, who, like we mentioned, the physical parts, he's super young. The team around him is not built for his skill set. He has a GM and president, I'm sorry, a president of operations now who's, like, the greatest point guard of all time saying this guy is going to be the next me. And then every comparison is to like, well, Jason Kidd didn't do this or like Steve Nash did do this. It's like, well, let's not set the bar at the guy who's like second all time in three points made and a generational point guard and the guy who won back to back MVPs. And like, mm-hmm. maybe we can set the bar at like, will Lonzo make this Lakers team a competitive playoff team in the next Ricky four Rubio. years? Yeah, Ricky Rubio is a fine NBA player. Uh, I don't think that yeah. they want to get that out of the Lonzo pick, but if his ceiling is Ricky Rubio, then they should build a team around Ricky Rubio's skill sets. Are you suggesting that we are unduly influenced by LeVar Ball's uh, yeah. constant talking? I, I, I might, cannot believe that you would suggest such a crazy thought. Yeah. You might say it worked. <laughs> Whatever that guy did, it worked. Um, catch up popsicles, man, and we're all wearing white gloves. Yeah. Um, so, uh, Ricky, if I were to tell you that I thought, and Mike and I, I think, had some kind of agreement there on, on Jalen Brown being the third in our cumulative draft as I try to maintain some No, he wouldn't have been my third. I would have probably okay. taken Smith or... Oh, okay, so uh, I'd have Jalen. And who would you have uh, as your third uh, pick in this, this hypothetical merger draft? I would, I would take Lonzo. Okay. Man, no, I guess I'm changing no anything. <laughs> I like this. Actually, you know what? Here's a here's a question that we got. We can just like skip right to this, which is from our friend Andrew Johnson at Counting Baskets. Like, who, Ricky? Who did you change your most your mind most about since draft day? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I mean, Tatum perhaps because Tatum's been really good. But the other one, I got to shout out my boy Laurie Markkinen. Yeah, just yeah. awesome for the Bulls. Now, I had, I did like Markkinen uh, coming into the draft, but I had him not. And I, when the Bulls took him, I was like, I would have preferred Dennis Smith or Malik Monk. I will say, you know, 10 games into it or whatever, I, I would go back on that opinion. I would take Markkinen over those two guys for sure. I mean, he looks phenomenal to this point. Uh, now, I do think a lot of the concerns I had with him coming into the draft could still easily play out. Like the first one I thought is, is he a four or a five? And sort of what kind of big man are you going to, or what kind of other player in the front court are you going to pair him with? To build a championship level team my my thing with that was like if you're going to trade jimmy butler sort of the general goal should be winning a championship right like if you just want to have a good team you can build a good team around jimmy butler but sure. you want to win a title so to win a title i think it's sort of generally accepted you probably need a top five offense and a top five defense and i wonder if you could build a top five defense with marketing on the court uh, and, you know, to this point, I guess, you know, that's still a question. I don't know if the Bulls are going to try to pair him with Mo Bomber, DeAndre Ayton, a center like that, or if they're going to want to look for, you know, more of a four next to him and play him at the five. Uh, but with that being said, his offense is so special. I feel like we use the term elite a little too much mm-hmm. as armchair scouts, but his jump shot is absolutely elite. I mean, he looks like a seven foot Clay Thompson to me when he's shooting the ball because his release is so quick yeah. and so true. Uh I mean, he's really been impressive, and he's looked a lot quicker than I thought he would. He's been a better rebounder than he ever was at Arizona already. 
he showed more post moves than he did at the college level. So, I mean, marketing has been awesome. I'm sure you guys haven't seen too much of him because who would ever subject themselves to watching the Chicago Bulls? Yeah, even I have not watched a lot of Bulls games this year. I think I, I think my spreadsheet says one full one start to finish and a few others. So, <laughs> yeah, even I haven't quite gotten that much. Yeah, so you're happy now. We had a, our our uh, Minnesota Timberwolves. Uh, I guess he sends us a ton of messages here, or tons of uh, questions. They're always they're always pretty good. Uh, so Markin is a guy that he wanted for the Wolves over Jonathan Isaac. He said uh, Ricky for some reason was lower on on Laurie, and your opinion clearly has changed. Where's your opinion on Isaac, who has not obviously been exposed as much to uh, getting as many minutes or usage as uh, Laurie has? So I try not to lie. And if <laughs> I was to speak about how good Jonathan Isaac has been on the Magic eight games in the career, I would just be lying. <laughs> I don't really. Yeah, he's kind of impressive, him. though. I think he's pretty good. Yeah, I feel like he's a guy who, like, three years from now, people will be like, "Ah, oh, that was a good pick." But but he, it is it is interesting that it's not like Markinen is like a twenty two year old college senior, and he's certainly outperformed Isaac. Yeah, and, like, the thing with Isaac, though, is, like, you know, sort of what do you want out of your big man, I guess. Like, Isaac is going to give you defense and athleticism, and Markkinen's going to give you shooting. But Markkinen's shooting just looks so good at this point, and he looks quicker than he ever did at the college level. He's not unathletic, though. Like, to your point there, like, he he's not an elite Isaac-type prospect athletically, but he he's already cut. I mean, he looks way more chiseled right now than he did one year ago at Arizona. Um, I think he looks a lot better. Yeah, he looked better Eva this summer, and he looks better with the Bulls than he ever did at Arizona. I think. I yeah. mean, at Arizona, he, my big thing with his offense is that I thought he had to diversify his skill set a little bit more. Like, of course, he had the jump shot. Everyone knew he had the jump shot coming into it, mm-hmm. uh, but you just didn't see him do too much else at Arizona. And already, he's flashed a lot of stuff that I didn't know he had in him. Uh, you know, at the NBA level and sure. Eva. So, Markkinen's looked awesome. So who uh, who's been a surprise for you? Um, a player who may have not been even in your, I don't know, top ten for either one of these draft classes, but specifically 2017. Um, and it, it can be your uh, you know Donovan Mitchell's of the world here. But is there anyone who is outside of that top ten who you you know have already seen some things you like? It can be Kuzma if you want uh, as well. But like someone who you're like shit redrafting, that's a guy who should be in the top ten, and maybe not like I don't know Zach Collins. <laughs> yeah, I'm going with OG Ananobi, who okay. I loved in Indiana, and then he had the knee injury in January uh, of last year, the ACL tear, and I think that, that sort of caused him to fall a little bit. I thought that he most likely would have been a lottery pick without that injury, hmm. but I think Ananobi's going to be a stud. I mean, basically, I see his floor as sort of a Damari Carroll type, just like a big athletic wing who you can you know, put on multiple positions. He obviously has the 7'3 wingspan. Yeah. Got grown man strength similar to Jalen Brown. The skill level is going to catch up, but he's so big and so fast already and so long that I just see no way in which Ananobi's not a really good NBA player. Now, what's his ceiling? I mean, that's a tough question. So that's a question we got. Question we got from uh, Raps fan here, uh, Raps fan twelve thirty seven. What is OG's best case scenario ceiling player comp? Uh, What uh, what his defense? uh, I'm sorry, uh, player comp with his defense that's uh, already quite developed um so what's the comp ceiling comp i mean it's a tough question though because who would have said Giannis's comp like you couldn't have seen Giannis turning into Giannis. yeah you know but what I mean? like, like he's an outlier for everything like <laughs> sure but i see so what you're saying is that Giannis is his player comp and that's what raptors fans should expect yeah Giannis. So Giannis, 
I mean, I don't know. Like, everyone was saying his upside was Kawhi Leonard when he first broke out. And I know what I'm talking about when he first broke out in the NCAA tournament. Am I going to sit here and say his upside's Kawhi Leonard? Like, no, because Kawhi Leonard's just too good. But I do think that Ananobi looks like a. I mean, a solid starter upside-wise, if nothing else. I mean, I don't. I, I won't say that he. I don't think he's all-star upside, maybe, but he looks good. So your answer to this question is Anna Nobody. <laughs> I'm saying he looks like a solid starter. Did you Straight just pick? like let? You're just gonna let that one fly? Uh, I laughed at it. I yeah. thought that one was pretty good. Hey, uh, between uh, between Semi Ojale. And uh, that player, Jordan Bell, who the Bulls traded for a bag of cash. Oh, hey, in a redraft, where does cash considerations go? (laughs) (laughs) Cash considerations goes dead last. Dead last? Are you sure he's not ahead of, like, Lonzo Ball? I feel like Lonzo, based on the first eight games, should probably go after cash considerations. There's my hot take. (laughs) Is this the inanimate carbon rod? Um, (laughs) Another (laughs) Simpsons reference is great. uh, So where does Jordan Bell go in in a redraft, Ricky? Yeah, I don't know. He's probably a first rounder, right? He's another guy who just found himself in a terrific situation with the Warriors. He is so quick defensively that, I mean, just, I mean, the thing with him is that, like, he had, like, really poor standing reach, right? He had, like, the reach of a guard, but, like, the quickness of a guard also and the strength of the center. So I think his combination of quickness and strength has immediately paid off for his lack of length. Yes. Uh, and he's just going to get better and better. People forget Jordan Bell was the best player in the NCAA tournament this last year. He dominated, dominated. the NCAA tournament. Yep. I mean, he had like seven blocks against Kansas and Josh Jackson in that Elite Eight game. He was all over the place. And then, of course, in the Final Four, he doesn't box out against North Carolina on two straight free throws, and Oregon loses because of it. But, uh, I mean, Jordan, Jordan Bell looks great. I, he's a solid first-rounder for sure in a redraft. Good old Warriors discovering untapped potential and uncovering this like anonymous talent, like uh, the best player in the NCAA tournament. Seriously, who, <laughs> you know, who like is is perfect for this day and age of basketball, where like you don't have to be a massive guy to play center. You can be six nine, two twenty five, and hyper athletic when the rest of the guys around you are, you know, Durant's just under seven foot, and Draymond's obviously in his his own type of physically dominant NBA player. So like he fits in with that team specifically. You're totally right. That's a great fit, but like. The writing was on the wall, to Ricky's point. This, this guy dominated the other guys who were picked in the top 10 uh, and did so you know, with a physical dominance that you could see translating to the NBA. Um, I don't know. He's also a Cal Poly kid. When you go to a high school that's already a professional organization like Cal Poly, there's, there's some difference to the edge you bring into the table as well. Um, Ojale is the next second-round draft pick I wanted to name because Ojale has been really good for the Celtics too. Yeah, that was a question we got from – I just want to make sure we shout out the person who asked the question basically. Uh, semi on their way. Semi on their way asked <laughs> – I really should – Big wait. rusted root fans here. Um, the – you know, the funny thing with Ojale, though, is he, he has, like, he's thick as hell. He looks like a linebacker or mm-hmm. tight end or something. But he's he's got, like, you know, good small motor skills. He's got nice touch, and he's got the three-point from the corner. Does he has good motor skills? Like he's Yeah, uh, like, he's, he's like, not, like, a lot of dudes, when you get overly bulked out, it, it affects the way you I can know. do, like, I, no, I, yeah. I get it. I'm just saying we say good motor skills for, like, kids. Yeah, I know, yeah. I mean, like, <laughs> he, he successfully picked up triangle block and put it in triangle hole, um, which is important. Can I shout out the, the guy I like the most in the second round is Dylan Brooks, another Oregon yeah. guy. I just yeah. love how he makes plays he makes. He seems like he's always in the middle. And he fell on the right team, too, like a team who needs a Dylan Brooks. Yeah, although it, 
it is funny how like all the guys who surprise you say after the fact, oh, they're in the perfect situation. Well, like, I maybe mean, they would have been good anywhere. Well, because, and the other teams messed up. Well, second round draft picks, teams are are certainly looking to put speculative, you know, uh, picks on a positional need. It's like, well, if this works out, then Rashawn Holmes can be the Sixers' backup center. You know, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it does matter. And, and just with the financial aspects of the game now, like uncovering a second rounder who plays big minutes for you is invaluable. I mean, yeah, it's like so Malcolm Brogdon, your favorite. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like Malcolm Brogdon, um, you know, 35-year-old so- so- sophomore this year. Okay. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I, I actually, you know, I've said this before, and Ricky, like, I obviously I have the Sixers players in mind as to why I don't like, didn't like Malcolm yeah, Brogdon, like but I like Malcolm Brogdon. I, I think he's um, a fine ambassador for the game. He's a super well-spoken cat, and I like him outside of the fact <laughs> that he stole the... Uh, uh, rookie of the year oh because God. people also like that. I just want to mention one thing really quick on Ojale that I still can't get over. Ojale had to transfer from Duke because he couldn't get any minutes because they kept get, recruiting like one and done top five picks to his position basically. Ingram, Winslow. And Jason uh, Tatum, his new teammate. <laughs> and now he's an immediate rotation player in the NBA and he couldn't even be a rotation player for Duke. Yeah, I think that that's hilarious because oh. they were the one program that kept over you know putting top five picks in front of it oh it's clearly duke is a better team than Bo- the boston celtics is what we're saying Thank you. Yeah. uh before we get to some of these other questions we got a lot of great ones we haven't talked uh, at all about the other point guards in the 2017 class smith neil Kina, fox uh and mitchell and some of the other guys where would you put them in a redraft and what have you seen from some of those guys so far, particularly Smith, who uh, came in obviously with a lot of hype. Yeah, Smith has been really good, but he he hasn't been super efficient thus far, right? Like I think he's shooting below forty percent from the field. Am I right about that? Without looking it up. Uh, but obviously, you know, he has just all the physical talent in the world, and he has uh, yeah, he's so shooting. Many he's shooting exactly forty percent right now. Okay, yeah, and he's had so many highlight plays already. So uh, I I'm really not worried about Dennis Smith, but similar to Markinen. I think Smith, the thing with him is like, as the level of competition goes up deep in the playoffs, is he still going to be able to sort of hold his own defensively just because he's small? Mm-hmm. He is small. And they have only small guards on that team. That's a Yeah. He looks like a monster already defensively. Yeah, I wonder. I mean, it's, it's funny how quickly, and our Knicks people were saying this all the time, you know, how quickly we closed the book on the Smith versus Neil Akina debate after Summer League, where it's another example of sort of, we have the absence of information that uh, yeah. has, affects us. Neil Kina has looked, you know, kind of interesting in his few minutes with the Knicks this year. Maybe we and Smith right now is very inefficient and kind of going through a lot of the point guard struggles that a small rookie point guard goes through. I wonder if we should open that debate again or never. Really, if we never should have closed it in the first place. Yeah, I don't know. No, I mean, I've, it's certainly a big part of that is that Dennis Smith had. A triple-double at Cameron Indoor last year. <laughs> there was already like a body of work um, to his explosiveness. Before his torn uh, ACL, I guess he was one of the top prospects in, in his class regardless, right? So he's been you know, on the radar. Ricky, guys like Ricky have been following Dennis Smith's progression for years now. You know, Anytime you take a kid who's been playing for Strasbourg, I believe, and, uh, you know, and a guy whose last name is difficult to pronounce. Well, People in a city like New York, it's it's there's a, a sticker shock to that. Because the New Yorkers have no recent experience of an 
international prospect with a strange name well, becoming look, it, a great it, it, player. It took moments, literally, like he <laughs> threw a no-look pass in his first game, and then the crowd's like, oh, okay, we're good. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's also the whole thing about how he was supposedly picked to play an offense that the executive who was in charge of uh, got fired for. So yeah. there's all that. Uh, Ricky, are you? do you think the the debate there should stay open, or do you think uh, Smith is going to be the better player? And you could throw Fox in this com- conversation, too, by the way. No, I think of course. Like you know, you're not going to know until they're 26, 27, 28. You got to be patient. You know, take some time. No, we got to have hot takes. Now. Yeah. What What about uh? What about Darren Fox? It seems like um, uh, what's his name? Uh, George Hills decided to take off this season, which should leave a nice opening for mm-hmm. a team uh, who honestly doesn't care about winning either. In fact, you could argue the Kings, maybe above every team in the NBA, need to get one of these top picks because they're going to lose their pick in 2019. So, what do we think about Darren Fox so far? Yeah, Fox has been great. He looks, again, super fast, which everyone knew is the scouting report coming in. Uh, and he's another kid who's just like not scared of the moment whatsoever. I think that that's the thing that impresses me about this rookie class the most. It's like they've just come in and hit the ground running in a way that even goes beyond the 2015 class, I feel like, which obviously that class was a little more defined by the big men. Mm-hmm. This one is more guards, but uh, I mean, Foxes look good at it. You know, of course, the, the jumper is going to be the, the question for him, but he's knocked down some mid-range jumpers from what I've seen so far. He looks super fast. He's not scared. So he's on I'm a good garbage team. Yeah, he's on a. Gar- I mean, they are. I'd also say this about this class before we get to some of these questions. Um, it does feel like they are more defensive oriented than most classes, uh, and obviously, rookies are mostly crappy on defense. But it feels like this class has more defensive aptitude between some of the guys that have come in. Neil Aquina, Simmons, Mitchell, uh, Mitchell uh, Fox, to be honest, uh, even Isaac. Uh, and Tatum has been better than expected. Um, and some of the other guys that went later in the Jordan draft. Bell. Yeah. Jordan Bell. I, it does feel like that the learning curve on defense is a little bit uh, tighter here, which I think has been impressive. Um, all right, this yeah. is... A, this is a question I really love, and I don't know. I don't have a great answer to it. Although I, mean, I have, I have one answer. But from NBA Rundown on Twitter, uh, what is the Ricky? What is the single best? And Ben, you too. Mm-hmm. What is the single best NBA skill among 2017 draftees? So not Ben Simmons's passing. Okay. The single best skill for a single rookie in this class right now, Ricky. What do you think it is? I hate to default to my home team, but I do think marketing shooting is the first thing that jumped out to me. Ben, what do you think? Yeah, I like marketing shooting. Uh, I was going to say Tatum's shot-making ability. It's it's like this guy, to your point, is taking the most difficult shots you can find at certain possessions. He's also hitting the wide-open shots he's supposed to hit. So I'll say just Tatum not really hitting any type of like uh, um, progression wall, like the difference between obviously college and NBA defensive Strategy and, and aptitude is, is massive, and I think that Tatum's been a better scorer and a more visibly clean scorer in the NBA than he was even in college. I'm going to go a little off the wall here. John Collins is offensive rebounding. Oh, I like watching. John Collins has currently yeah. got an 18% offensive rebound percentage, one of the highest marks in the league. That dude jumps. Yeah. And he grabs rounds out of his zone like, oh, poor Tristan Thompson. Or not Tristan Thompson. He was injured. Poor Cavaliers in that game on Sunday were just like, God damn it, this motherfucker again. Yeah. Jumping no. over our backs and grabbing rebounds. I am super impressed with him. And, Ricky, why 
Why is it that someone with a clearly transferable skill, super athletic, young, not an old dude, how does that guy go 19th? I don't understand. Yeah, I mean, the thing with him is that he didn't, he wasn't a shooter at all at the college level, and he didn't look very good defensively. So it was like, well, do you really want a front court guy who can't shoot threes and isn't going to defend? With that being said, though, he literally led college basketball in PER. He's putting up a monster PER again, 10 games into his Atlanta career. And as you said, he has such an easily defined skill as an energy guy, rebounder, and finisher that, you know, it was almost no doubt that he he was going to be one of those guys who would end up, you know, just being better than what people, you know, you get this uh, like Stockholm syndrome, I think, looking at the draft and thinking about the scouting reports a little too much. But sometimes someone like John Collins, he's just like too talented to fail. Yeah. He's just a great rebounder and he can dunk on everyone. Like, what more do you really need? He was the Florida class 4A player of the year, his senior year of high school, as I'm reading. That's that's pretty big time. Yeah, so that's I mean, all because that's that's you know the, the state with all of the private institutions now that are taking all the best players from around the country, like Montverde. Um, and he actually went to um, Cardinal Newman, which is one of those schools too. Yeah, um, you just look at some of the guys that went before him. And it's just Zach like, Collins. I want to get to Zach Collins real quick. Someone what? tweeted last night they picked the wrong Collins at ten. If if John Collins was on Portland, that would make a lot of sense. Yeah, that'd be an awesome yeah. fit. I mean, the Hawks are doing a good job, I think, of playing him in as center with shooting, yeah, but yeah. no, I mean, that would be amazing. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't know what they did there. I mean, Neil Shea is a good draft record, but man, that's not looking good. Uh, here's yeah. a question. Uh, I want to talk about this dude because I also am a big fan of this. Ricky from Pratik Kumar. I know you were a fan of this dude, and I think he's shown out. Donovan Mitchell, does he look like a, well, he says franchise player. Let's let's settle down. <laughs> does he look like, I mean, what? how good do you think Donovan Mitchell is going to be in the future? Does he look like a perennial starter, a potential all-star. What uh, what are you seeing from him so far? Yeah, I love Donovan Mitchell even when I first saw him play as a freshman on Louisville just because his athleticism jumps out immediately, his length. And he just had that mindset, that willingness to defend. I feel like I'm describing Stanley Johnson here again. Stanley Johnson sucks. That was one of my misses. But, yeah, it's still, uh, hey, what, you said yourself, you can't know until 26. Yeah, it's still early. I still believe in Stanley. I see you, Stanley. But with uh, Mitchell, it's like he's just such a willing defender and he's so athletic that, you know, I I thought that Avery Bradley was the comparison pre-draft and he's been way better than Avery Bradley was early in his career, right? So, I mean, it's it's hard to say what his ultimate ceiling is. I don't see uh, Donovan Mitchell being an all-star, to be honest, but he's going to be a really solid starter, maybe, you know, a top 50 player potentially in the NBA. How big is Eric Bledsoe? Well, because that's the comp that I I see more than anything. I, mean, I think I think Mitchell's bigger than Bledsoe, but that kind of bully ball guard mentality from a very physical standpoint. And like anybody listening to this, go back and listen to our our preview of the draft last year because Ricky and I both hit on Donovan Mitchell being a sleeper pick in that draft. Congratulations! You want a you want yeah. a prize? Yeah, no, I'm just saying that. Only added to the scorecard. You know, yeah, well, you know, <laughs> you know, there's substance to this uh, bloviating here. But um, real quick. Uh, <laughs> Stat that really jumps out at me, and it's still early, so I don't know what this means. The Jazz are a scoring 106.8 points per 100 possessions with Mitchell in the game, 94.5 with him out. Part of that's because Hood is super inefficient. Well, that's the other thing too. Like, <laughs> I, it already feels like Mitchell is the guy they like more than Hood. They should. They should. <laughs> See how we did that? Yeah, um, I, I'm yeah. Impressed. he's a little wild, Mitchell, but I think it's it's a good fit of like he's the one guy who actually tries to make things happen. I, I like uh, I just like watching him shoot jumpers. I think he's got this nice up and down form that mm-hmm. I really enjoy. Uh, no, I'm a fan. 
Explosive. I'm a fan of his. I, I really like him. I think he's better. One of those guys where you feel like the the numbers don't necessarily show how promising he is. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I really like him. Yeah. Next question. Uh, this is a player who we really haven't heard a lot about um, from Young. His Twitter name Young at Sick Twenty Two. What's up with Josh Jackson? Uh, mm. Seems like he's been kind of underwhelming. Doesn't really look like the Suns have plans for him to unseat TJ Warren. Ricky, are you worried at all about what we've seen from him so far? I'm not really worried, but every time I look at a Suns box score, Josh Jackson's going like one for seven, I feel like. So, you know, it hasn't been great, I guess, for him at the start of it. But I always thought that Josh Jackson just had the competitiveness and he was such a skilled and willing passer, too, in addition to being a great athlete that – I'm not worried about Josh Jackson. I, I, like I said earlier, I think if he would have found himself in a, you know, a situation that was a little not so hopeless as Phoenix, that maybe he'd be putting up better numbers right now. But, I mean, he hasn't looked good, that's for sure. I mean, Tatum looks a lot better than him thus far. So, yeah. All right, so that organization is a mess. Yeah, man. it's it's really hard to, like... Well, they look better now, but they've also benched Josh Jackson. He also yeah. he had the whole thing with the fan. I think there are still major questions about his uh, character off the court. Yeah, potentially, which potentially. are hurting him. And I don't know. He's got this like weird ass like kind of floater move, but I don't know like what he does on offense. And he's a good passer, but he's not a good enough shooter to spot up. You know, I, I it doesn't. To your point about Tatum and Jackson, you almost wonder if. Uh, Nowadays, it's more important to have the scoring ability, and you can keep, mm-hmm. teach the defense rather than vice versa. I don't yeah. know. I just think it's it's interesting. Yeah. Uh, I want to put a bow on the theoretical redraft real quick because uh, yes, I want to get top Ricky's 10. top ten here. Now that we've kind of gone through the questions and we've talked a little bit about the the top two or three, but so so far, Ricky, you have Ben Simmons going one, um, Marco Fultz going two, Lonzo Ball going three. Can you round out the top ten here for us of your 2016 and 2017? draft prospects combined yeah i didn't write it down though so i guess i'm just gonna have to go off the top of my head beautiful fine. <laughs> uh so then i guess four i'm gonna say you know i would have said jackson four originally but jackson just hasn't looked good so i'll say tatum four uh five give me ingram i want to stick with ingram even though he hasn't been great up to this point but mm-hmm. i'll take him five uh six i'll take Jalen brown just his defensive potential, his athleticism, his strength has been awesome. Uh, seven. Can I take Terry and Prince? Seven. I feel like he's kind of a late riser. If you want, absolutely. I don't think he's been quite as good this year as I'd hoped at this Hasn't point. Hasn't been as good. He was the 12th but, pick in 2016. So you take him over uh, Dennis Smith and Fox and all those guys? Uh, yeah, that's the thing. I'm, I'm trying to do this off the top of my head, and I don't know. I guess I would probably. It's so tough. I don't know. Ben, who's your top ten? Give me Markinen. Give me Markinen in that seven spot. Okay. In the eight spot, I'll take uh, Dennis Smith, I guess. In the nine spot, I'll take Donovan Mitchell. In the ten, I'll take Josh Jackson. Two people from 2016 make yours. Yeah. No, three, because you have Brown and Ingram. Oh, yeah, that's right. Okay. Yeah, yeah, Simmons, Brown, Ingram. Um, okay, so <clears throat> all right, my top ten was um, Simmons was number one. Um, Tatum was number two. Fultz is still number three. I shouldn't say still. He's the new number three in my draft. I'm going to put him at three and put Jalen Brown at four, although those two could be very interchangeable for me. I love – I think Jalen Brown's ceiling is incredibly high because he kind of has moments where the shot looks good and he'll put down like a crossover between the legs and then like a spin move straight up on a vertical into a jump shot and you're like, shit. If he replicates that, 
the league's in trouble. Um, so I'll put Brown at four right now. I'm still going to have <clears throat> De'Aaron Fox at five. I think Fox's ceiling is really high, and again, situations are big problems, specifically because they put him behind a veteran point guard who's not really trying. So the kind of off-and-on difference between when you see George Hill in the game and when and when uh, De'Aaron Fox is in the game is, is pretty stunning. Um, I'll put Ingram, and it pains me, but I still see sparks from him, and, and he's like younger than pretty much everybody we've named so far. Um, let's do Ingram at six. Lonzo Ball will be my seven. Markinen at eight. Dennis Smith Jr. at nine. And Jamal Murray at ten. I still think Jamal Murray's going to be a good player. I just think that there's a lot of guards on Denver, and they're figuring out the best combinations to play. But I really do like Murray's game still. So at some point, he's going to have to shoot like his rep. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he has moments. And like, I was at the Nets game when he shot like his rep, and you're like, shit, this guy's so smooth and and, yeah. and, and effortless, really, on the court. He just floats around. But um, so that's my top ten. Okay, I uh, I haven't thought about this nearly as much as you guys, uh, and I'm much more on recency bias because I don't yeah. know these guys as prospects as well. I would pick Simmons to go number one, uh, Jason Tatum to go number two. Uh. <laughs> Yeah, let me think about this. Jason Tatum to go number two. I think I would still pick Dennis Smith to go number three uh, at this point. I'm sure I'm going to regret that <laughs> uh, at this point. I guess Jalen Brown to go number four. Uh, Fox number five. Uh, Lonzo Ball number six. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I haven't thought about this as much as I thought I did. Mm-hmm. I will say I do I do have a, at somewhere in my top ten – I'll put Markkinen and Isaac there, but I'm also going to put John Collins and Donovan Mitchell. <laughs> there you go. Well, I mean, it, there's, it's interesting to be able to kind of combine people who aren't physically there yet, guys who are far ahead of the curve physically, like a John Collins or a mm-hmm. Mitchell. You know, there's so many different types of rookies. And, like, to put a bow on the entire conversation here, a lot of this is speculative. A lot of this is, you know, small sample size. There's actually one of my favorite uh, fantasy baseball memes is the small sample size song. If anybody, you can Google that, small sample size fantasy baseball. And it has all these guys who hit 500 for the first three games of the season. Stuff like that. Yeah, but three out of 162 is different than eight out of... 82. It is, but or 11 at 82. The, like we are, we are weirdly enough almost eight, you know, yeah, 12 percent of the way through the season. But the point I'm making though is that there are a lot of variables. Not every rookie is created the same. Not every rookie, uh, you know, is physically where some others are, or in the right position for their That's team, or, or even in the right mental state for themselves. Like in Fultz's case, potentially. Mm-hmm. Here. So, hey, hey Ricky, is there anyone who we haven't talked about from this rookie class that you think deserves a little shout out at the end? I don't want, I don't want like our listeners to be like, oh, you forgot to talk about our rookie. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I feel like we touched on most of the really good rookies uh, at this point. Luke Kennard, he's been solid, right? For Detroit. He had like one Up good game. Point. Yeah, he had one good, had game, one good against... game. We have talked about Monk. Monk had 18 in the fourth of that one win they had over, I'm blanking on their opponent. Was it the Bucks? Yeah, it was Milwaukee. Monk is a little bit like jacking shots in a bad situation, but yeah. Uh, we haven't talked about Monk. I like Jared Allen from Brooklyn. I think he's been interesting when he's played. He hasn't played a whole he's time. He's very quick. I haven't seen the Nets play him. I haven't seen him much as an NBA player, but he's got, his he's, quickness stood out to me. Yeah, he can really protect the rim. I'm fascinated by him. I like. I know he hasn't been that effective numbers-wise, but I, I think Bam Adebayo is going to be a player. I really like him. Uh, man, there's just a lot of good guys. I talked about, um, about uh, Dylan Brooks, who's sort of like my – this dude is my pet this year, pet favorite. That is, I probably overrate. Big fan of his. 
Uh, we talked about Kyle Kuzma. And I'm just look, it's a really good class. You know, I think it'll be interesting to see how some of these guys stack up uh, in a few years. I know, I know, we forgot about your favorite team's rookie, so I'm really sorry, but I'm not really. Yeah, and you know, my one takeaway from this class is just crazy how effective these guys have been so soon. I remember it was only two springs ago I went on a you know, recruiting trip and saw Jason Tatum and Harry Giles and Malik Monk and Dennis Smith and all these guys playing the AAU circuit. And now, I mean, just first game, Tatum versus LeBron. He's like literally guarding LeBron. When I saw this kid 18 months ago, you know, at a high school gym in Lexington and AAU, like the the pipeline just goes so fast. And I think this class has really, you know, hammered that home more than any because they've just been really good so quickly and they haven't looked like rookies or teenagers or anything else. Now, you're not surprised that they've hit the ground running as a general class, right? This was a class that you have targeted for a while as a top class. So it's not too surprising, but it's still kind of fun to see. Ricky O'Donnell, thank you so much for coming on the Limited Upside podcast to talk rookies. We'll be checking in with you uh, to talk about college hoops. is coming up, by the way, uh, the sport I don't watch. Uh, Tell me, uh, got some cool stuff coming for that, right? Yeah, College Hoops, our preview drops on Thursday, the SB Nation College Basketball Preview. That has the top 100 players in college basketball by Mike Rutherford, which is a really fun list. Also looks great. Uh, I did something on the baby bigs. Last year, sort of all the top freshmen were guards. This year, they're all big men. So I think that's just sort of interesting in terms of how the game is trending and where all these guys are going to fit. So uh, a lot of great big men in this class, from Michael Porter Jr. to DeAndre Ayton to Marvin Bagley to Mohamed Bamba to... Sorry, I have to do that every time we talk about him. You can go all day. So uh, a lot of really fun players in this next draft. This next draft, I mean, you can have a legit debate if the seventeen, if the eighteen draft is better than the seventeen draft because I, I do think this seventeen draft is going or this eighteen draft is going to be really, really fun. So should make for another, uh, you know, cool draft season. Give us something to talk about when uh, you know the league starts slowing down right before the playoffs. And we're gonna touch base with you a lot to talk about that class and i look forward to having this conversation of what is our 2018 and 17 redraft this time next year that's ricky o'donnell you can find him at sbn ricky does also by the way uh talking about players that are still in high school that you need to know about coming up we just did a really big nice feature on someone you probably have heard of zion williamson but he also did one on someone you probably haven't heard of but you need to learn their name sooner or later that's cameron reddish so he covers these guys from all the way up through the circuits, uh, and it's really amazing to have his insight. Ricky O'Donnell, thank you, and this is the Limited Upside Podcast. <laughs>